0: Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. I have the incredible job of interviewing geniuses from around the world about the trends shaping the way we live and work. Today, we explore the future of sex. Like just about every other aspect of our lives, new technology is changing who we love, how we find partners, and the ways in which we express ourselves sexually. I became interested in this topic as online dating started to become mainstream. It was clear then that technology was forever changing this important aspect of our lives and as you will learn in this episode there is no end in sight to these changes if the topics of intimacy sex and sex technology make you uncomfortable this episode is definitely not for you to help us understand the landscape of sex technology and the future of sex our guest is briny cole briny is founder of sex tech school which teaches entrepreneurs and investors about the sex tech market. And she is the producer and founder of the Future of Sex podcast. Bryony, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thanks for having me. Can you describe what you do?
1: I'm a sex tech futurist, so I run my own school called Sex Tech School and help entrepreneurs build businesses in the space. It started with a podcast called Future of Sex, looking at this world of sex and technology.
0: And can you describe what sex tech is?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way to describe it is looking at it as a compound of two words, sexuality and technology. So sex tech is any technology designed to enhance sexuality. Everyone goes, what the hell are you talking about? And the first thing that comes to mind often, I think, when people hear that, those two words put together, sexuality and technology is robots and sex robots, which is certainly a part of sex tech. But sex tech is so much more than just sex robots. It's anything to do with that sexuality bucket from education, health, crime and violence reporting, sexual expression, of course, pleasure, but also like pain prevention and violence and human trafficking. And how does that relate to technology? And it could be anything from sophisticated technology like AI, AR, mixed realities and robotics, or really simple tech, whether that's apps or websites or rubber rings for wearables. If we think about technology as just a tool that allows us to do things or solve problems.
0: I know you were involved in this uh, Future of Sex report that came out maybe a couple of years ago, a few years ago. You cover five different areas. Could we talk about that? Because I want to set the stage with that and then maybe move to some less known elements in the sex tech world. The five categories are virtual sex, remote sex, robots, immersive entertainment, and augmentation.
1: I think so. The easy ones to pick off there are virtual sex and remote sex because it's pretty much what everyone's experiencing right now, you know, going through COVID. And if you're separated from your partner, you're looking for different ideas of like, how might I be able to remotely connect with my partner and enjoy some sort of sexual expression? So they do seem sci-fi because in many ways we've seen them in sci-fi movies before, you know, in that long distance relationships or how do I connect teledildonics to someone on another planet or on another country and enjoy sex haptically and through technology. So remote sex is teledildonics, which is Wi-Fi or Bluetooth enabled sex toys. And I think a lot of people, what rings true there is like, oh, it's a vibrator connected to the internet. And a lot of the market for that pre-COVID was cam girls, right? Using these sort of Wi-Fi connected vibrators to make money online. COVID comes along, everyone's locked down, they're separated from their partners and they still want to experience this. What happened is these sales spiked, but they also realized, oh, there's sleeves and toys for men that can be connected and you can either connect to an app and then connect that app and give permission out to someone else on the other end of an app, or you can connect it directly to another toy and so feel those sensations at the same time. Again, it sounds so sci-fi and like, oh, my gosh, we can feel these things at the same time and have sex at the same time. So, yeah, it still is pretty sci-fi. In fact, when you put it into practice, it's clunky, it's funny, People are going to these products for novelty more than they are to experience, you know, this being in the same sensations at the same time. So that's teledildonics. Virtual sex, if we move to that different sector, I guess, is how do we use virtual reality and products like that to not only simulate sex, but use it for different ideas around sex education, which is already, since that report came out, happened in the adult industry and that porn companies are using this not only for their porn content, but also for creating sex education platforms. in virtual reality. So Virtual Sexology is a VR sex education platform. It's run by uh, a porn company um, and the teachers are porn stars, but the education and the content there that is aimed at making you a better lover or getting to know your body, depending on what course you take, is all designed by sex therapists and really signals or points to the opportunities in this space. If we think about kids that go to school today that might have the opportunity to learn history or geography in VR and how effective that's been, what might happen there where we teach kids sex education in virtual reality and we enable them to be sitting in the same room as someone that can talk to them about STDs or STIs or sexual health issues or allow them to practice consent by walking through a simulation through a nightclub or something and, you know, having to practice consent or saying no before you actually get in that position. In reality, we've seen those sort of practical aspects are really effective. So that's what we can expect in the future from virtual sex.
0: I know I've, I've seen you speak and you talked about sex ed that you received and I'm older than you are and, and I received reproduction education. I wouldn't say that it was sex education. And so as I was kind of preparing for this I was reading this future of sex landscape and reading some of the literature on it. And I'm like, this is the end of humanity. (laughs) And then I started to pick up some of these things that, oh, oh, there's actually some benefits to humankind from this. Like you were talking about consent and education and, and things like that. I think that's important for people to keep in mind is that this isn't necessarily the end of humanity there are some benefits to some of these things.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's a very normal human reaction to go, my God, this is the end of humanity. When we have these changes or when we have these big sort of innovation pushes, right? They're quite polarizing. We're either really hopeful and think we're headed towards utopia or we're completely scared, fearful, and just like, this is the end of humanity. So I think they're normal reactions and I think we underestimate how quickly we change from being in fear around them to thinking this is quite a good thing. The most obvious example I talk about in that sense is, is dating apps where 10 years ago when Tinder came out, everyone was like, oh, if you're on Tinder, like, yeah, you, know, you must be desperate. And today, if you're single and you're not on Tinder or you're not on a dating app, like, what are you doing? How are you finding people? You know, so we used to think that that was sort of so embarrassing. And now it's like, well, this is actually really empowering technology. And this is all oh, maybe we're sick of Tinder by now. And it's on to the next thing. But I think it's interesting to note that those technologies and our attitudes around them do shift and change. And so when, you know, I talk about virtual sex and people go, that would be horrible. And then think, well, in 10 years time, maybe you'll think differently, just like you thought differently about Tinder when it first arrived. So I'm a sex tech optimist when it comes to that, but very aware that people are scared. And, and also it I think it would be irresponsible to not mention the dangers of all of these technologies, right? Like when the introduction of the internet has created so many wonderful things, but also um, when we look at sexuality in even into that bubble, like revenge porn and the proliferation of like online pornography and human trafficking and things, they're real dangers as well that you have to be mindful of. There's no sex tech ethics committee and a lot of the time governments and legislation takes five to ten years to catch up. Let's
0: talk about augmentation for a minute, because that's one of the areas on the future of sex landscape that you talked about. What is augmentation? Because I think it's far more diverse than maybe people might initially imagine.
1: For me, when I think about augmentation, I think about augmenting your appearance and your abilities, right? Adding something on. And... For sex, there's so many different ways that could be. Do we want bigger and better things? Can we augment that with prosthetics? Certainly. And I think one of the more short-term, interesting parts of sex tech with augmentation is the ability for people to have different genders, shall I say. And the VDOM, which is coming out in a couple of months, is a smart strap-on designed for marginalised communities like lesbians or perhaps paraplegics or people with premature ejaculation that want to have a strap-on that they can also augment to where about in the world and feel sexually expressed where previously people would have to like put on a sex toy when they're about to have sex because that's what it's designed for. What about walking out in the world? What about my sexual expression and identity as I move about in the world, which is a part of sexuality? How do I have a penis that goes from flaccid to erect if I don't have a penis? And so augmentation in that sense is super interesting around Questions of sexual identity. I think another interesting example of augmentation is around sexual violence prevention and the Rape axe technology, which is a female condom fitted with barbs. And for listeners who haven't heard of the Rape Axe before, the female condom um, fitted with barbs was designed to prevent rape In the fact that if you did experience unwanted penetration, that female condom you're wearing would clamp onto the penis and you'd have to go to hospital to have it removed. So in the context of a country that experiences uh, rape every 17 seconds, this is a really interesting, valuable innovation not without political and societal ethical questions and moral dilemmas around it but i think that's where augmentation is going where we're solving these almost smaller subsets of the population and issues around that which is interesting as much as we are augmenting our appearance
0: and then the the last one we haven't talked about is immersive entertainment could you talk about what that is
1: a good example of a company doing that, I think, is probably Cam Soda. So again, the adult entertainment industry tend to dominate these things where they mix their VR content with sex toys, Kiru as well do this, who are a sex toy manufacturer out of Amsterdam, where you're able to view VR content that they've partnered with adult companies and they use their own sleeves and vibrators to sync in time with the content that you're viewing. So it feels even more and more like you're there in the room. Camp Soded have been working with Mixed Realities a lot, just doing interesting novelty projects. And one that I don't know why this came to mind, but I was thinking about this hologram that they created a couple of years ago, which was like a stripper that would like become this hologram out of your smartphone. The other one that, that is obvious that comes to mind there is Gatebox, a virtual assistant much like Google Home or Alexa. She controls the temperature in your house and the the lights and things like that. I call her a she because it's a blue cartoon character, almost like a schoolgirl sitting in this glass case and while she controls all the things she she dances around and she sends you emotional text messages and says she misses you so she she blends that idea of like a virtual home assistant with an idea of an emotional girlfriend yet she's just sort of this hologram in a in a glass case which to many people is disturbing but to some people in Japan is so enticing that they've ended up marrying Gatebox. And there's hundreds of men that have now married Gatebox. And look, if you work at the company, you get a birthday off. And just, I think, raises a lot of interesting questions around what is intimacy without humanity? Can we still have intimacy if it's just with technology? And what does that mean? And what does it mean to love or marry a technology?
0: And I think what's important to keep in mind, if you've never been exposed to this topic, you know, with any technology that's pretty radical, like artificial intelligence or quantum computing or biotechnology, some of these technologies that are vastly different than everyday technologies, there's a tendency to initially recoil. And then as you think a little bit more around benefits, you start to, oh, I can start to accept it a little bit more and more. And I think a lot of people who are just being exposed to this topic might just recoil. But could you talk about some of the benefits to humanity that the technologies that we've talked about so far are providing
1: yeah yeah and also just that fear and horror is normal and suspend judgments for five minutes now but i think if we look at the benefits it can be very obvious if we start to look at our own lives and you know i talk about my sex education being fairly average, which is pretty terrible the world over, right? We had reproduction lessons. So how is technology changing that? Well, technology has the power to deliver better sex education for communities like the disabled population. It's already creating tangible, better quality of life. Handy is a great company that I use to illustrate this example because there really isn't another company that's innovated around the disabled community and sex like it yet. And their prototype's coming out in a few months. And it's for people with mobility issues, pain in their hands, limitations in their hands. That means they can't use sex toys. They can't masturbate. They can't have sexual pleasure. They can't touch someone else. To to turn it on the listener, what would it be like if you couldn't use your hands to pleasure yourself or to have sex? And so for the longest time without this sort of technology, people have either gone without, so imagine just never having that opportunity, or they've hired a sex worker, which is expensive and honestly gets complicated because of where you are in the world in legal aspects of that so handy is a technology that's it looks really like a pool floaty like this isn't complex sophisticated technology it looks like a pool floaty that you hold or you cuddle and it, it has different insertables depending on your gender and allows people to not have to go to a sex worker and to enjoy some sort of intimacy with themselves and that is hundreds of millions of people today that market and if we think about all of us are ageing. The ageing population is a big part of the disabled community. It might be part of that soon. I think that's a really nice example of where it is benefiting humanity in a very tangible way and people being able to have access to pleasure.
0: What about addressing loneliness? It seems like that is one of the upsides. There are just some people who may be awkward or who just may be isolated do you see that as a potential benefit?
1: I think in intimacy in general, right? It can either be a hindrance or a massive helper with technology that it within our smartphones, with the apps we have in our smartphones, now we can do pretty much anything. Now, whether that means your needs for intimacy that you want to improve, you might download an app like Lover to have better sex education and sex therapy. It might be something where you want to mend a broken heart and you can download an app for that. There's everything there. And if you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm lonely. I I wish I was better at sexting. You can now go and download an app and chat with a sex bot, right, and learn how to become a better sexter. So much of technology is positioned to be a salve to loneliness, and in some parts it has for sure, this connection to therapists and to improving upon ourselves and to potential dates. But then there's the nasty side which maybe it makes you more lonely. So it's really turning the the finger pointing around and going, well, how am I using this technology and being the onus on yourself to think about in my life, am I lacking in my sexuality or how can I improve it? And what am I doing with technology? And does that make it better or worse? Yeah. So you're
0: kind of setting us up to talk about some of the pitfalls (laughs) or some of the downsides and, and what have you seen or experienced as and heard from clients or people you've talked to around the downsides of sex tech?
1: Yeah, I think the most concerning one is a lack of communication skills and in-person skills, particularly in younger generations now for in-person contact, for, for body language and things that we learned when we were younger because we didn't spend our lives communicating through smartphones. It's kind of an obvious one, but you do see it. The more I talk to teenagers, the more I get shocked by the fact that they do not separate themselves online and offline and have a sexual identity online that I and many people would cringe at because there's no element of privacy to it. But when it comes to in-person communication, which is something that makes sexual and any relationship great, they're lacking because they don't have that body of experience around how to respond to people, how to stay curious and, and ask questions and, and say no and demonstrate what they want. So that to me is the most concerning. And ironically, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe we should educate them. How are we going to do that? Oh, let's do it through technology. So um, it's like a continuing <laughs> issue. You know, the more things we develop and innovate, the more problems there will be, but the more things we'll have to solve.
0: Yeah, it seems like, you know, with communication, there's emotional intelligence that it's a muscle that needs to be created. And if they never develop it, they never have an opportunity to use it, then it's going to be lacking. Other than technology, how do we overcome that? How do we teach our children to have these types of conversations? You have talked about some technologies that will develop people to learn about consent and how to give consent Mm. or not give consent. But how do we teach our kids to communicate around sex?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the best part of that is being human and doing it yourself rather than outsourcing it to technology and that's sort of where it comes down to all the time is how do you have that conversation as a parent with your child like how do you start to prompt yourself to have those conversations because as kids as babies we learn really early about this stuff through mirroring and seeing how we're perceived through our mother's eyes and if she puts us down if we do something sexual we're learned that that's shameful or bad at a very young age so I think it's about the conversations we don't have on technology I think it's the Conversations we have in person that are far more substantial and impactful.
0: When the internet started to be rolled out 20 plus years ago and people were online for the first time, I remember hearing stories like, I got online at nine o'clock and then it was 2am before I knew it. It had nothing to do with sex. It was just like, this is a new novel technology. And then there were images of people having sex or whatever. And then there's video and then VR. Oh my gosh, this is going to be really immersive. This is going to be so alluring that people are not going to be able to pull themselves away. Mm-hmm. And you couple that with haptic suits, which mm-hmm. most people may not even know what a haptic suit is. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. oh, how are we going to delineate between the reality and the experience that people are having?
1: I mean, don't you think that people are at some point going to want out in a way that in-person experience becomes almost more special? This is my thinking, especially considering what we've just been through of the past years. is like those in-person experiences are, are so treasured now because they're so few. And I think once we get plugged into immersive experiences where it feels like we're just touching and think it's kind of like a drug, like at some point you're like, done.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And most people have the ability to turn that off, but not everybody. So I think True. there will be a segment of population who will just be sucked in and can't pull themselves out. We, we already see that, right? And the rest of us can can turn it off or can distinguish between reality and what's happening in this virtual world. I think you've talked about a, a bunch of different lesser known advances related to sex and sex tech, but are there some others that you wanted to talk about? I know that researching you, I've I've seen you talk about some of these things that may not be known by the general population.
1: I mean, there's lots. Every day there's a new one. I think going back to like body hacking and, and sci-fi stuff, we think about Rich Lee, who is a body hacker, who's developed the Lovetron 9000, which is a chip that he's put in himself as a experiment to turn his penis into a vibrator, essentially to vibrate his penis, I think is definitely a lesser known edge case Um you know, teledildonics, which we talked about, the Onut, which is the wearable rings that reduce the depth of penetration for people experiencing painful sex. 75% of women will have had it's painful sex and will identify with this. At one point in their lives, they've had painful sex. And for a subset of that, it's regularly experiencing painful sex. And one of them was the founder of Onut. Her name's Emily Sauer. And she developed these rubber rings to put on top of the penis. It's sort of a customizable ring. Think donuts, which is essentially what she used as her prototype in the beginning to reduce how deep that penetration is going to go and to alleviate some of the pain around sex. And I was actually just talking to a sex therapist in the UK about this and she prescribes it to a lot of patients now and it gets rave reviews. It's such a simple example of sex tech too, because there's no wiring involved. It's a rubber mold and that's it. And it works really well.
0: One of the things that I found interesting in researching you was how culture really can dictate or drive innovation around sex tech. You talked about South Africa and Japan, and Mm. Iran, and some innovations there. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's pretty fascinating.
1: Sure. Yeah, so... Wherever you are in the world, you know, there's there's definitely sex tech going on. And what's interesting about that is it's very related to the society that you're surrounded by and the the problems in that society. So we use that example of the rape acts before, which was developed in South Africa from a nurse who continually treated sexual assault victims. And, and one of them said, oh, if only I had razor blades down there. From that was born this idea to develop this female condom fitted with barbs because of this social problem in South Africa. In Japan, sexual harassment on the subways is a big problem. Two thirds of teenage girls or girls attending high school will experience some sort of molestation on the subway. It's why they have gendered subway carts now. But out of that was born a UV stamp where you would stamp your perpetrator. If someone groped you on the subway, you could turn around and do this UV stamp, which would then identify the perpetrator to other people. It sold out in a matter of hours. It cost about $20 and it was developed by a telecommunications company. But it was something where it was developed in a country where perhaps you would go and do that if you felt like someone groped you. But perhaps in the New York subway, would I turn around and stamp someone? Maybe not. But it was such a big problem, that this this emerged as one sort of solution there. And then the other example is, you know, in Iran where domestic abuse is a real problem. I think the statistic there is around two-thirds again, so it's a huge problem. And how do you help equip women who want out or need resources like education or legal resources without causing more violence and trouble in that scenario. So how do you equip them? And Torange was an app that was developed to look like it wasn't an app, you know, to look like you were using another app and you could press that button and it would it would either call a friend that you had nominated, it would call the police if you wanted, it would also provide you to access to legal resources and education.
0: How do you see sex tech changing the way we date and fall in love and experience intimacy?
1: It's always changing. I mean, I see sex tech changing as much as we're changing sex tech, right? So even last year, no one really was keen on going on a video date with someone, whereas now that's a feature that's in all dating apps because, you know, we've all been locked down and forced to use Zoom and video for a year. So yeah, it's not the technology that's changing us, it's us that's changing the trajectory of the technology. We think about how many celebrities have joined sex toy brands in the past six months. We've seen Gwyneth Paltrow, we've seen Lily Allen, we've seen Cara Delevingne, we've seen these slew of celebrities join as creative directors, founders, as ambassadors of sexual wellness companies for women, which two years ago would never have happened. But there's been this groundswell of like sexual wellness, you should be incorporated into wellness routines and Mental health and uh, physical health, and so those sorts of conversations. So that's largely like pop culture that's driving these conversations, that's driving this social movement around opening up around sexuality. And so, in response to that, or alongside that, I think technology is also developing. But like when we think about sex tech, I still feel like we're further behind because culturally, attitudes around sex are behind. We're like, oh, we're just emerging out of the 50s in terms of sex education.
0: So that leads me to the next question, which is how should people prepare for this future? Because there's often a a normal reaction to resist, and that may not be healthy either. So how how should people prepare for this change?
1: I mean, I think the best advice whether you're preparing for change or preparing for great sex is staying curious. So just staying curious is enough to open your mind and not be fearful around it. Stay curious about and have that second question when we think about, oh, sex robots, that's not for me or I'd never do that. Is like, well, who does that and who is that and why? Oh, they're trauma victims. Oh, they can't connect to humans. Oh, that makes sense. I have a bit more empathy around why that was designed. And so staying open around these conversations around sexuality and staying curious, I think is probably the best Preparation. And if you can go so far as to ask yourself your own questions about what's lacking in your own life, what would you like to enhance, or what experiences did you miss, then you might even find I could create my own sex tech company and could innovate around this and make the world a better place.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask about uh, sex tech companies because it seems like there are a lot of women who are involved in the innovation. And I think I've also heard you say that women are having a very difficult time getting funding oftentimes. Is that an accurate statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very accurate. I think sex tech in general is hard to fund. I think a lot of the conversations that are positive and for all the social conversations, positive stuff we're seeing on screens, programming, that sort of stuff, when it comes to pitching and raising money, it's still really tough, whether it's morality causes or just people's general uncomfortability with this space because they don't have a vagina, it's very hard to raise money for women's sexual wellness products. It's the big challenge to the industry. A lot of the time if you go into those rooms and you talk about sex, it immediately gets lumped into adult content. It's really tough to take yourself out of the porn box, you know, and I think that it's clearly not the case but it's very hard to get out of that mindset that sex equals porn equals creepy and dirty and weird and we won't touch that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people's minds go to pretty quickly. Where is sex tech missing the needs of people, men or women?
1: I mean, it's going to come full circle here because it's always about better education. Wherever I go, people have had crappy sex education. I think that would solve a lot of things if people learn how to communicate about sex, if people learn about their sexuality from a younger age, there would be a lot less shame. It would be a lot less taboo around this topic. So for me, the answer is always, how do we improve sex education for adults as for kids?
0: So in the future, how do you see sex work being impacted by sex tech?
1: It's pretty exciting. I think there's two different things that are happening here. So sex work online is highly regulated at the moment, as it is offline and even more so. You know, there's a lot more censorship to deal with. However, as we've seen with OnlyFans, there's also... A new avenue opening up to monetize erotic content and people. De- have an appetite for erotic content. So I think in many ways, it's creating new opportunities, which is exciting. Unfortunately, as that goes ahead, there's more and more legislation around, around sex work because it gets lumped into human trafficking, which rightfully should be legalised, but it's a very tricky, slippery slope there because then it starts to, to impact people who are sex workers, who have chosen to be sex workers and, and their clients know that they would like to receive their services. So it's a really tough industry, I think, to be involved in. It's one of obviously the oldest professions in the world. And I think people are getting more innovative around it with OnlyFans and those sorts of things. But what's interesting as well is As we see the licensing out of people's images and butts and holograms that we may even get to a point where sex work is your holograms doing the sex work on behalf of you and you don't even have to be there to complete the acts, which is exciting and different and definitely very futuristic.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's really, really interesting. And I wanted to ask you about ethical questions that are being raised here and how are we having ethical conversations? So, for example, let's say if somebody wanted to create a robot in the likeness of somebody, what are the ethical implications there? Do they have the right to do that? How would somebody get compensated for that? Are these types of conversations being had, these ethical questions?
1: They're only being had when that happens, is essentially the wild west right now. So a year or two ago, someone made a robot in the likeness of Scarlett Johansson. Her response was, well, what can I do? There wasn't any sort of legal recourse that she wanted to take at that point. And so there is no ethics committee. That's part of the problem is there's no sex tech ethics committee that exists anywhere. And so all this legislation is slow to catch up. What we are seeing in different fields, which maybe you know more about, is this licensing out of likeness of image. As if you're a talent agent, Or your image, but we're not there yet. And it certainly hasn't hit the sex tech community. I I would say that they're the last one. It's very much people are out inventing and innovating on stuff without having these conversations.
0: What sort of privacy concerns should people have as it relates to using some of these sex tech apps or sex tech technologies?
1: I mean, assume that everything is being record it. There's no other nice way to say it. There's definitely vibrators and teledildonics that people use all the time. And the safest advice you can give someone is like, just assume if it's being connected to the internet, then someone else is is grabbing it no matter what. I don't know if that's the right thing you want me to say, but it's definitely the honest answer.
0: Yeah. I think that would have been my assumption and I appreciate the honesty. We've talked a lot about sex tech and its future so far. When you look out five or 10 years, what does the future of sex look like?
1: I think it really looks like a more open, more expansive idea about sex. It's not necessarily about us all partnering with technology. I think the role of technology in the future of sex has been access. It's allowed us access to other people, to more knowledge about sex and sexuality, to understand our identities, to be part of different communities. And I think that's really the vehicle for more open-mindedness, less shame and less judgment about sex. And of course, the sex tech that we're building now creates more options for people to enjoy themselves and have pleasure and also protect themselves, whether that's health-wise or from violence and danger. We talked a little bit about that before, but I think in thinking about the future of sex, it's always about how our ideas of sex are expanding. And it's never really about the sophisticated technology.
0: When I look into the future, I often look for historical moments or periods of time that help us understand the future. Are there historical moments that can help us better understand the future of sex?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they've been continuing on and on for decades, if not centuries, around where we're going with our ideas around sex and these periods where we think, oh my gosh, the 60s was sort of this cultural upheaval where we started to shift into free love and people having sex and access to birth control. What we don't realise is that was kind of happening all along and it's less of a moment in time and more of an evolution where we have access to medicines. I think it was even in the 20s or 30s, we had access to medication for syphilis and that changed the way people started having sex, you know, the 70s in terms of free love movement. But more recently, I think the sex that we see on screen is so different to even the sex we saw in the 90s around sex in the city where things were hilarious or funny and now we see programs like Euphoria or Sex Education where we're seeing different identities represented, we're seeing different preferences and sexualities in young kids and it's an opening up rather than I think these moments in times. We can also, of course, look to Me Too and the Time's Up movements which have been really powerful in having women come forward and talk about sexual assault and being able to talk about sexual assault publicly just empowers a larger conversation around sexuality for everyone to start talking about sex, whether that's on social media, with their partners, with their friends. I don't know if you watched a Britney Spears documentary recently, but it took me back to my childhood and being 15 years old because that was around the time that Britney Spears was becoming popular and I just remember Um, how revered she was for being pure, you know, in this virginal culture that we celebrated when I was 15, you know, 20 years ago and how much that's changed today, you know. And we think about sexually fluid pop stars now and people online talking about homophobia or starting movements around and against upskirting and rape culture. And I think it's really hard to point to one moment and say, oh my gosh, the future is moving towards a more open-minded perspective around sex because of these movements. Often we think that they're this decade or this moment in time, but it's actually just an evolution that's constantly happening. I'd argue that we're constantly opening up these conversations. Fifty Shades of Grey made BDSM more mainstream and Me Too made everyone else feel heard that probably had experienced the sexual assault in private and thought that must have just been me. So that's a rather long-winded way of saying there's so many moments to point to to help us better understand this freedom we're moving towards around our identities and sex in the future.
0: Yeah, I think that's very helpful because when I think about how the audience might be listening to this, there might be an automatic, oh my gosh, the world is ending and this is not the way that I was raised. But understanding that there have been advances and there have been generations of people who were very uncomfortable about sexual evolution or revolution. But it seems like you're you're saying it's more of an evolution and there are these moments in time. So I, I think it will help the audience understand that okay, it's just the way it is. And resisting it is not going to be helpful and just understanding it and maybe communicating with children or grandchildren is not such a bad thing. Yeah,
1: there is lots of panic around the way things seem like they've suddenly appeared. For instance, hookup culture in the late 2000s, everyone thought this is going to ruin us. But in fact, you know, we could argue that hookup culture was happening in the 70s anyway, just on a different level or platform. But I think what is true is that these big ideologies or moralities around sex have shifted, and we can quite easily bucket them into that early days when this idea, which still holds for some people, this significance view of sex is that you only have sex with the person that you love, that's significant in your life, that you're married to, which shifted a couple of decades ago for the majority of the population in America to this idea of recreational view of sex, where sex was something that didn't have an inherent meaning. It was like scratching an itch. We did it for according to a study I've read, you know, 504 different reasons to have sex, including reducing stress, relieving anxiety, helping you go to sleep, as well as loving a partner. And now I think we are moving into a broader dialogue about sex and a broader view about sex, which not only is about who you have sex with or how you have sex or to alleviate stress or a pain or something, but it's also around your open-mindedness around your identity in sex and gender fluidity and bigger conversations that don't just involve penetration.
0: With all of the advancements in sex tech, is human connection going to be obsolete?
1: Thankfully, no. (laughs) I think with all of these advancements and everything that We can do with technology is so exciting but i think there's no need to be afraid i think the biggest gift we have for each other is being human and being creative and using our imagination and our sense of touch and things that make us so human staying curious with each other that robots or technology will never be able to replicate that and so the future of sex is all about humanity that's great
0: that's a good place to end where can people learn more about you and the work that you do? <laughs> uh,
1: you can Google "Future of Sex" podcast. If you're interested in in being a part of the field, you can go to sextechschool.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Brainy Cole.
0: Brainy, this has been a fabulous conversation. I appreciate you taking the time, and thank you for being a genius. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Twelve Geniuses. Our next episode will explore the future of food with restaurateur and celebrity chef. Justin Sutherland. We will talk about food insecurity, ethical food production, and the future of the restaurant business. That episode will be released May 18th, 2021. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.